This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Eamon Dunphy. Now, there was a very important election uh, this weekend in Slovakia. Slovakia is a member of the European Union, and the former prime minister is back in power. His name is Robert Fico. Uh, he's a leftist populist, and his party, the Smer Party, won enough votes in Saturday's election to form a coalition, and he seems certain to be the next prime minister. He is a very controversial figure from many perspectives. One of them is that he is very pro-Vladimir Putin. He is also a big friend of Viktor Orban. Uh, Viktor Orban tweeted, Orban is the Prime Minister of Hungary, on the right of the right wing. Uh, he said, guess who's back? Congratulations to Robert, Robert on his indisputable victory at the Slovak parliamentary elections. Always good to work together with a patriot. Looking forward to it. So that is just another hint of what might be to come across Europe, because Poland is also in war with the European Commission and the European President, uh, Ursula von der Leyen, to discuss Fisco's election. We're joined now by Suzanne Lynch. Suzanne is a very experienced journalist. She was Washington correspondent for the Irish Times. Uh, Suzanne is the chief Brussels correspondent for Politico and host of a podcast of her own, EU Confidential. She was, as I said, Washington correspondent for the Irish Times as well. Suzanne, thank you very much for joining us. The election of the new Slovakian Prime Minister, Robert Fitzo, I understand is the way to pronounce it, it does throw another spanner in the European Union's works. Not only is he a friend, a political friend and a supporter of Putin, he's also against Europe supporting Ukraine, as indeed is Viktor Orban. Mm. This is becoming a pattern, isn't it, in Europe at the moment? Yeah, I mean, he's, this marks a return by this guy who was a prime minister for about 10 years or so before. And, um, it's been quite the political comeback for him. Now he now has to form a coalition government, as he said there, but very likely he's going to become prime minister. And he has been outwardly, uh, very questioning of Western support for Ukraine. Uh, he's 
pro-Putin. And he seemed to kind of double down on this, actually, this week after the election, saying, you know, Slovakian people have other things to worry about rather than Ukraine. Now, the question for the EU, and as you mentioned there at the beginning, there's a lot of elections coming up. We've got the Polish election now next month, or sorry, in a couple of weeks' time. And we've got European elections next summer. The whole European Parliament MEPs will be elected. You know, the question is, once he's in power, maybe he will moderate his stance. We've seen this with Georgia Maloney, the Italian prime minister. We've spoken about her before on this podcast, Damon. But yes. she's been kind of uh, put a softer face when she arrived in Brussels. All the, the hardline rhetoric kind of was put to one side. And she has been, she is being seen as a more constructive partner than a lot of people uh, would have expected. Now, Look, we could be, there's a lot of cynical readings of this. Is she trying to get her own way? Are a lot of these more extreme politicians, rather than, they know their politic, they know their public doesn't, you know, doesn't really want to leave the EU. They used to say, we're anti-EU, we're anti-Brussels, we leave. They know that that's not really going to wash with their uh, public. But what they may be doing now is trying to shape the EU more, you know, yes. trying to, have a more populist or right wing in a lot of cases attitude to migration, for example, or to when it comes to support for Ukraine. So the higher number of these kind of figures that you have around the EU table is a worry for the more centrist politicians, like the Prime Minister of France and Germany, um, about how much influence they're going to have. But as you mentioned there, I mean, the, the comments by Orban, Victor Orban from Hungary, he couldn't wait to to tweet his congratulations <laughs> to his old allies. So, you know, you could see a kind of a, a block forming, particularly among some of the Eastern European countries and um, that are becoming more confident, more assertive, and believe that their way of viewing Europe and what it should be doing should be uh, more dominant than it is now. Yes, and the use of the word patriot in that tweet. There are quite a few patriots now in Europe, Orban being one of them, the Polish Prime Minister being another of them, uh, Maloney, as you said, another, and also formerly close to Vladimir Putin, and also sceptical, to say the very least, about supporting Ukraine. I note that this new man is also uh, in Slovakia is also against supporting Ukraine's bid to be a member of NATO. Mm. And that is really going to pose this sort of run of elections, uh, which will culminate with the Polish election. And of course, there's trouble in Sweden as well, where there is a significant shift to the right. This is really going to pose a major problem for the EU, isn't it? Mm -hmm. I mean, what's happening now is we're seeing a bit of concern, say, in Ukraine, that the West is wobbling a bit in its support. So his election this weekend was happening just as over in Washington. Um, the government shutdown was averted because they agreed to the short-term bill. But in that short-term bill, there was no additional money for Ukraine. Now, six billion dollars was withheld. Mm. So that's you know, major alarm bells for the Zelensky government. Now, what's interesting is in terms of their, they're such good communicators and their, their public relations. 
gee, you know, they're not criticizing that. They're saying that, you know, they're, they're confident and President Biden has said, has said that he's confident this money will come ultimately, that this is just a temporary bill. But you are seeing this confluence of events now where there are small indications that in certain countries in Europe and, and in definitely within the Republican Party in the US, that they're not prepared to write a blank check as they see it to Ukraine and that there's a kind of a questioning about continued support or the amount of support they're giving to Ukraine. And of course, all of this are in election context. You know, that's what's going on in America. It's what's going on in Poland and Slovakia. Um, in saying that, uh, Poland is an interesting one because Poland had been a real supporter of Ukraine since the beginning of yes. the war. The Polish people took in millions of refugees. But I think, again, we spoke about this. There was a, a wobble in their relationship in that there was an influx of Ukrainian grain into Central and Eastern Europe. This has impacted farmers in Poland who are not happy about that. And there was a kind of a row between Warsaw and Kiev. Now, there are, you know, things have settled down again. Poland are still saying that they support Ukraine and they support their membership. But you're right there about EU enlargement. I mean, this is one of the big discussions that's happening now in Brussels. And that is about whether the EU should be expanded and whether it should move to include Ukraine. And we've got Viktor Orban, who's raised questions about this. If we have feet, so now if he arrives in to government, uh, he could also question this. And each country has a veto on this. I mean, it's such a big decision for the EU, enlarging the EU, that yes. every country has to be okay with that. Um but it's interesting the way it works. I mean, it's it's quite cynical. But today, the reports that the EU is preparing to uh, unleash some money that it was was holding from Hungary, and of course, the the insinuation being uh, that there'll be a quid pro quo that you know these yes. countries that or they know Orban can hold things up. And he knows that they know he can hold things up. So, yes. you know, it might be. A, so these are this, these are kind of horse trading issues that go on. But it is a worry that you've got a, an increasing number. They're small, but there are important countries who are questioning how much support for Ukraine and more seriously for the EU. Should Ukraine ultimately be admitted to the EU or not? Yes. And yesterday there were 27 of the, the EU's 27 foreign ministers, including Michal Martin, met in Ukraine and they signaled uh, continuing support for Ukraine. At the same time, Suzanne, there was a very, there's a very interesting row broken out in the last 48 hours between Maloney, the Italian uh, prime minister, and uh, Germany uh, about the Germans who are rounding up migrants on the high seas and taking them and depositing them in Italy. It's a very mm. serious matter indeed. And Maloney is very angry. And there is a breakdown in that relationship, yeah. uh, which would have significant consequences, would it not? Because Germany is a big country, as is Italy, mm. in the whole, both original members of the European Union as well. Absolutely. Both original members, both big players in the EU. You're right. This is the other big theme this at the moment in Europe, and that's the migration issue. And actually, EU leaders will be meeting later this week in Spain to discuss about enlargement. But we're hearing that this migration issue may overshadow all that. Um, and an issue here, the problem for Italy is that because of its geography, it has traditionally been on the front line of yes. migration. So the people who arrive looking for asylum arrive in Italy often through those awful journeys across the Mediterranean. And not to get too technical, but the way the EU's asylum policy has traditionally worked is a, a, a thing called the Dublin Regulation, actually. Was, uh, the I know what it is. Yeah, it yeah. was 
to the the first country you arrive in outside the EU, the first country you arrive in is obliged to give you sanctuaries. Exactly. That's exactly it. Um, So that's the rule. But, but, you know, Italy and Greece have kind of said, well, that's very unfair because that means they're all, you know, all these migrants are coming to us and we should, the phrase is burden sharing, that it should be kind of divided out. But countries, as far as I'm aware, I remember covering this before nearly a decade ago now, I can remember Irish ships, I remember uh, picking up migrants and we, they were lauded as a great, uh, you know, they're helping these migrants that are stuck in the sea and then dropping the migrants at Italy. Yes. So this has always happened because they're saying, well, that's where they're supposed to go first. That's the rule. Yeah. Um, but Germany is an interesting one because ger- migration is emerging and it's really one to watch. Migration is emerging as a big issue domestically in Germany. So Germany has traditionally been the source of a lot of, as they call it, secondary migration. So migrants who arrive in one country and then move on, even though they're supposed to claim asylum in the first country they arrive in, as you explained. So Germany gets a huge number of migrants. And we do all remember when Angela Merkel opened the doors uh, back around 2015 to that wave of Syrian refugees. And she was highly praised for that at the time. But at the moment, politically in Germany, Germany, A, has a coalition government which is always a bit more tricky. And B, it's seeing the rise of the AFD, their their very right-wing party, are rising in the polls. There are some regional elections um, in Bavaria, I think, or maybe some regional elections anyway in the next week or so in Germany. And Schultz, the Chancellor, has been now campaigning on that uh, for those elections. And uh, the migration issue is beginning to become a problem for the German government domestically. So, in parallel to this whole discussion about enlargement, the EU is also trying to get, finally, after years, agreement on a common EU asylum and migration pact, it's called. And um, Germany, you know, all the countries have to agree. Now, it's a slightly different system. You can't veto it. But there, you can have this kind of, you can team up different countries with that. But the issue for Germany is that you had some people in the German government, when there was a recent uh discussion about this, being very pro-migrant, the Green Party, for example, didn't like some of the rules and saying it's unfair to migrants. And then you had other parts of the government saying, well, we need to be tougher when it comes to migration. Yes. So I think, you know, this whole migration issue, and you've got increasingly right-wing figures like Orban who are there in the background, and, you know, we know what their position is in migration. It's going to be a very tricky issue for Europe. Uh, it's going to be a very tricky issue to get agreement on. And you're right that this row between Germany and Italy, Italy has accused Germany, I think Elon Musk weighed in on this as well, of Indeed. dropping migrants to Italy. But, you know, the Germans are saying, well, these were NGOs who were saving people who would have drowned in the sea. I mean, yes. this is what they were actually doing. I mean, you can see it, you know, that's the way they're viewing it. But you're right. I mean, it's a worry and it's, a, I think, a read indication of the actual um, tension around this topic at the moment in Europe. Yes, and you're right, as you uh, said, about the AFD in Germany. In fact, in the latest opinion poll, uh, at 22%, they are the most popular party in Germany now. They have more support than the three um, parties in government. And uh, that is a very serious development indeed, because they are neo-Nazis, apart from any views they may have on immigration. The question, I suppose, Suzanne, and I wonder how much it is discussed in Europe at the moment is how can Europe, and we haven't mentioned France, and France, Germany would be the big beast traditionally in European politics. How can Europe, as originally conceived, 
contain, if you like, and integrate figures like Orban and the new man in Slovakia now. And should the AFD come to power in federal elections in Germany, then we're looking at a, a hugely different a different picture, aren't we? And mm. From the one where last week uh, Ursula von der Leyen making a speech, a State of the Union speech, if you like, promising support for Ukraine and promising keep her going, Patsy, and uh, mm. everything's all right. Everything is not all right, is it? No, you're absolutely right. And in the sense as well, this is what's behind this debate about should the EU enlarge. I think since the beginning of the war in Ukraine, there has definitely been a sense that the center of gravity in Europe is shifting to the east. Those countries like Poland who really were, you know, were laudable in their response to the Russian invasion and were ahead of the story there. They warned that this was going to happen and they were proved right, that they've been getting more authority, they've been becoming more assertive. And that's the reality. They're members of the EU too. The issue is if the EU expands further east, well, then it's going to incorporate maybe countries from the Western Balkans, former Yugoslavia, uh, countries like Moldova, countries like Ukraine. And I think a lot of countries in the West are... Slightly worried about this, not least because of the fact that, as we mentioned there, when countries like Poland and Hungary did join the EU, uh, ultimately they elected very right-wing governments that are not kind of playing by the EU rules in terms of their own, what's happened in Poland is awful about the independence of the judiciary, um, media freedom, which doesn't really exist, uh, really as we understand it in Poland, for example. So all these EU standards that you're, you're supposed to have in the EU uh, I'm simplifying, but it's almost like once these countries get in, you lose your leverage over them. They can kind of change their domestic uh, yes. laws. And uh, I mean, Orban is worse in many ways yeah. because there is no functioning legal system there. There, re there are no rights as such. Yeah. He appoints mm. the judges. They do what he uh, suggests they do. And there is no press freedom at all. Um, mm. And I wonder, the only sort of weapon that the European Union has as a body uh, is holding money back, which yeah. they did do in the case of Orban, but now they've they've done some deal with him. But this is a sort of sticking plaster for a much bigger problem, isn't it? Absolutely. And that they do have that leverage. They try to use it, but as you're saying there, it looks like they might uh, let that money go. But you see, so that's the issue. But Macron, going back to France, you were, you were saying, what's, yes. what's so interesting, I mean, Macron in many ways, I would say, is the most powerful person in Europe. He's running, he's what Merkel was. You know, 10 years ago, was Angela Merkel was, was essentially the queen yes. of Europe. Uh, he has kind of stepped into that role, mainly one of the reasons being that Germany itself has weakened with that coalition government. Schulz is not as authoritative. Um, but there has been a change in, in Macron's idea. He's a big thinker. And he came out recently, he gave a speech earlier in the year in Bratislava, symbolically enough, in, in Slovakia, yes. about kind of let's open up to the East. And he seemed to be, France was one of the countries that was opposed to further enlargement of the EU, feeling that 27 countries was enough. Yes. It's changed though. Macron is beginning to see the bigger picture and say, you know, this is an existential issue. Russia has invaded Ukraine. It's neighboring the EU. Uh, it's And he, he is now open to ways of discussing how you might expand the EU. Now, France and Germany put forward this paper that was circulated and it's complex enough, but it's almost like a discussion document about how EU enlargement would work. And there are a number of suggestions in that. Things like you could have a, a kind of a, a various tiered system where you're kind of 
in the EU in some ways and you're not in others. One of the suggestions, which doesn't go down well in Ireland, is that the number of commissioners, EU commissioners, would be uh, reduced because at the moment each country has its own commissioner and Ireland yes. made sure to get that back in one of the votes on the treaties, the Lisbon, I think, or the, or the Nice, I think it's the Lisbon. And obviously, if you have then 35 countries, you're going to have ter- 35 EU commissioners. And the way Brussels works, like it is too many to run but but you can see why countries do want to keep the right to have their own EU commissioner so these are big decisions and there's one other decision I'd like Mm. to ask you about Suzanne sorry to interrupt Mm. you and that is the question of qualified majority voting um, which once upon a time you required unanimity for European votes on big issues now qualified majority voting is accepted isn't it yeah. So qualified majority voting is this kind of complicated equation where if you've got a certain number of countries of a certain size, you something can pass if you have enough support. And at the moment, as you said, there are certain things still require unanimous decision. Yes. So anyone can block it. So that's, uh, as I just said, enlargement. There was also the thing about sanctions. Um, and that's why Hungary kept blocking sanctions earlier in the year towards Russia. But yes. crucially for Ireland would be tax. Yes. And those fiscal issues. So one of the suggestions in this proposal, and of course, Macron's not, stu- I mean, he's doing this to get the conversation going. This is, this is the pr- quid pro quo that's going to start happening now with these in-depth discussions. He's not saying that everything in this paper is going to happen, but it's almost like a warning bell. Well, we could do this. You know, you, you can't say no to everything. So Ireland presumably will, will oppose that because if you move to qualify majority voting for everything, well, then, you know, Ireland yes. will be isolated on tax. Now, I would imagine what will happen is that they'll only, they'll move more to qualified majority voting on certain issues, on more issues, but there'll be still a few things that you will need unanimous support, like fiscal stuff, like enlargement. But I think people were very frustrated that Hungary was able to block sanctions for no, you know, I think countries, they're all prime ministers who sit around the EU table. They know the domestic pressures. They understand that they're politicians. But what happened earlier in the year was that Hungary was blocking some of the sanctions to Russia and then kind of getting involved in blocking other things that really had no impact on its own economy. Um, like gratuitously just using that veto. So yes. I think they're trying to get away from that. But that is definitely a warning signal for Ireland. Now, this meeting this week in Spain may, you know, it could be the beginning of that conversation. Um, but you can be sure that every single country in their national capitals are looking at this. And we, and we could end up, if the EU is to change in order to uh, absorb new members, then you're into a situation where we could have another EU treaty, and then Ireland would have to have a vote on that. So presumably that's not something the Irish government really favours or anyone really wants. So they're going to try and change the EU enough that they don't have to have a referendum and change the EU treaties dramatically. And that's going to be a tricky, a very tricky balancing act as well. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. 
They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Just let me ask you a final question, Suzanne, about the Ukraine and Putin's invasion. Joe Biden made what many considered to be an outstanding uh, landmark speech last week. And in it, he said, America is facing very dangerous times. The very nature and future of democracy depends on who we elect. This is obviously a reference to Trump uh, next November. That election will have enormous consequences for everybody. Is there a feeling in Europe that the way the wind is blowing in so many countries and on so many issues, perhaps principally migration, that we are now in a very dangerous world? And is there a sense in Europe, as there appears to be almost everywhere, that what happens next November in Washington in the United States is a moment. Yeah, I think you were right that people are worried about what's happening in these individual countries and the Polish election now on the 15th of October will be yes. crucial. If that right-wing government gets back in, that's a kind of a game changer. You know, it, that is going to dictate a lot of this. because Tell us about that march, Suzanne, in yeah. Poland. There was a march last week in Poland, which was quite troubling, I think. Yeah, well, there was a, co- I mean, so the opposition had this march on Sunday, this huge, I mean, a million people, they're saying, um, went out in opposition to this uh, right-wing government. Oh, um, good. That's yeah. Not, that's good. <laughs> so the other side of things. But the but the right-wing government, the, the, the PIS piece, um, they are, you know, most people analyzing this think they will get in. But what's interesting about this is that they will probably have to go in coalition and the party that they would go into coalition with is extremely far to the right. Right. So that's going to be one to watch. But um, like th- what's interesting about Poland to me is that I, I, we were covering a story in Politico. It was an extraordinary story about bribery for visas where the Polish government, uh, which has been, of course, very anti-migrant itself now has been involved in a scandal about selling visas to, uh, to countries, South Asian and Asian countries. And I said to somebody from Poland, I was like, it's just not making a big impact on the polls. And I was shocked with their answer is they said to me, it's not being covered in the media. So right. that's why it's not causing a big impact. Yes. So the whole media representation of the election is feeding into how this election is going to go. And it's just, that's one of the biggest challenges. But yeah, look, to answer your question, Fito Orban is a big fan of Donald Trump. So if he was to get in, if Trump was to return, um, well, then you're going to see, or he's got some allies in Europe. 
Yeah, yes. Macron, Ursula von der Leyen doesn't want to see him return, but some people maybe do. Yeah, and and he has a we- he has a weakness, Trump, for strong men. He certainly does, <laughs> including so, including Putin, including Putin. So that's going to be, you know, that's something. You know, where what is Europe anymore? Like, where does the power lie, and who who is making these decisions? If you've got a core group of of Central and East European, East European countries, in particular who are now ruling a lot big countries in, in the East and, yes. and put and, and Trump comes in. Yes, there would be more of an alliance there. Uh, but yeah, look, people are beginning to have this conversation about the return of Trump in a serious way in Brussels. They're worried about NATO. They're worried about Ukraine in particular. Uh, uh, but they are worried about this return and what it means for transatlantic relations. I think there was a sense that people got caught off guard back in 2016. And this yes. time they're trying to prepare that bit more. So, other than that, everything's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Another cheery uh, analysis of the state of the world. Suzanne Lynch uh, is, uh, we're very grateful to Suzanne. She's chief Brussels correspondent for Politico and host of the podcast EU Confidential, which is very good, actually, and very pertinent to much of her life, even if we don't know it. Uh, she was previously Washington correspondent for the Irish Times. We're very grateful to Suzanne, to all of you for listening. That's all we have time for now. We'll talk to you soon. Bye.